Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for gathering us together all here in this place that we might recognize you once again. That we might acknowledge who you are, just who you are. What it means to know you. That we, we are blessed to have this family to do that with. To encourage one another, to build one another up in our knowledge of you, in our love for you. We praise your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Caterpillars and butterflies. You've probably heard the song, Bullfrogs and Butterflies. All right. If you take a caterpillar, a cute, adorable little fuzzy caterpillar, and you were to superglue a pair of wings onto that little caterpillar, would that change it in any way? If you do that to that poor, helpless little caterpillar, it doesn't suddenly become a butterfly, does it? It doesn't suddenly become able to flap those wings, fly, drink nectar from flowers. It doesn't even desire to do those things, does it? Just because we glued a pair of wings on there. No matter how much it may look like a butterfly, it will still just crawl around and eat leaves because its innate way of thinking has not changed. There's a great saying, and I know you've heard this from me before, Being in a church makes you a Christian as much as being in a garage makes you a car. Being in a church makes you a Christian about as as much as being in a garage makes you into a car. Uh, As a church that teaches and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God in its truth, we want to be sure that we are creating spirit-filled disciples. If you're going to hang out in this garage, you're going to be a car. But we need to be a people who, who think differently going out of this place than we did when we came in because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the heart, and it causes us, as difficult as it might be sometimes, to become more like Jesus Christ. If it isn't doing that in our lives, we aren't paying enough attention to it. It's easy, however, for people to to come into a church and be emotionally touched by all the the ceremonies, and we have communion, and and we have the decor, and the social benefits of church life, and and then having their eyes on all of the churchy things around them, they never recognize the truth for all of the trappings around us. They become religious Christians instead of reborn Christians. Christians. In our passage today, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see how the early church spread the gospel with purpose-filled trappings. We're going to see two reactions to that message delivered. Same message, two different reactions. One, a, a veneer of faith, and the other, an actual change, an actual metamorphosis. Um, and thirdly, the, the need that we have to be able to recognize one from the other that we might be sure of our own faith and that we might not leave others in that veneer of relationship with God 
on a false sense of salvation. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 4. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 4. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of God, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Reading of God's Word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. Here we have the first steps out of Jerusalem, just as Jesus Christ had proclaimed them in chapter 1. You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as Philip shared Jesus Christ, people paid attention, didn't they? People paid attention to what Philip was saying. Why is it? that people paid attention. How is it that the gospel spread? Verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Well, it starts with a proclamation of the Christ. He told them the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. But it wasn't just that, was it? He accompanied it 
He accompanied it with signs and miracles, the miraculous. Verse 6, it says, And the crowds went with, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. It was signs and wonders that accompanied the truth of the preaching, the proclamation of the Christ. The people heard and saw the truth of the gospel. The signs accompanied the truth in order to verify its authenticity. This is the real deal. Look and see. The miracles grabbed their attention, didn't they? They, they, they got their focus in of, of one accord, it says, doesn't it? And it affirmed what was being said. Even to the point of, of an emotive response. It says, so there was much joy in that city. Well, let, me, let me take you on a little sidebar here. That one statement there grabbed me when I was studying it. We fear emotion in the church today, don't we? We need to be the frozen chosen. If we are truly saved, we won't move. If you sing, don't sing too big. Don't even think about doing that, right? Don't raise a hand while you sing. We quote Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that, that says we shouldn't be an emotional people, right? We, we misappropriate that verse in an effort to be to not be taken up in an emotional fluff, which we shouldn't be taken up in an emotional fluff. We, we don't want to do that. We don't want to uh, uh, lose our sense of self-control. That is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Self-control. But we forget quickly that joy and a walk with Christ go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say, rejoice. And it's not a, if you want to, or maybe you should, or maybe. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. We, we should feel the shame of sin. And we should feel the joy of reconciliation, shouldn't we? This church should be more responsive to the truth of God and what he's done in our lives, in our hearts, than the city of Philadelphia at the end of the Super Bowl. Did you hear the city explode that night? I don't know about your neighborhood, but ours was loud. And we live in a pretty calm area. We should be more than that. Sunday mornings, going outside, setting off fireworks. We had church. <laughs> right? Joyful. Glad we were here. Glad to go out there and, and say something about our Savior who's done such amazing things in our own lives. All right, so back to here. So even at the earliest declaration of the gospel, we, we see that there were certain actions taken to ensure that the people's hearts and minds were caught up in listening to the truth of Jesus Christ 
as it was being preached. Do, Do we have anything like that in the church today? Are there actions we take to deliver and confirm the truth of the gospel that we believe in? We may not be doing healings and casting out spirits the way that Philip did. But do we have anything that would pull at people's hearts and evoke an emotional response? How about heartfelt worship? Dynamic changes. You don't think that when those drums go, it's not meant to make you go, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's good, right? And start singing out words of praise? Yeah, that's what it's there for. No, no, it's not supposed to be emotional. Yes, it is. Do we have drama? Do we have a drama ministry here? All the people in the drama ministry are going, no, no, we don't. Yes, you do, and it's a good thing. And we do a drama to make people laugh, to make people cry, to make people emotionally connect and and, and in their minds connect with the truth of the gospel through a story, right? The feel of the sanctuary with its high ceiling and the stained glass in the back and the pews. It's all there to make us feel a certain way, isn't it? To help bring us before God. It says to everybody who comes in these doors, this is not your home. This is not a movie theater. This is a place where we gather to worship the almighty God of all creation and of our salvation and that means something. That is special to us. We value that. Do we have anything that would provide for felt needs to show that we actually care? Do we pray here for the miraculous? Is anyone out there hurting right now? Emotionally, physically? Raise your hand. It's okay. Raise your hand. Raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you right now. Father God, we praise you that you are not a God who is weak. We praise you that you are the living God, able and good, just as good and able as you have ever been. And so, Lord, we do pray for the miraculous. We pray that you would do some great things here amongst this body. Would you, Lord, heal those who are hurting Touch them by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have a food ministry here to provide for people's felt needs? Do we have a familial atmosphere where we love each other and share with each other and build each other up, sharing life, sharing Jesus Christ, maybe even something as simple as centered around a Super Bowl event as we just share time together? Yeah, we do these things. To this day, we accompany the truth of the gospel with activities and trappings that would help show people that we are deeply invested in this truth. That the message of salvation and the truth of Jesus pervades every single aspect of who we are. That we put our time, money, efforts, gifts, hearts, and relationships all into the proclamation of Jesus Christ as our Savior and the only source of salvation for all of mankind. We should be doing things that back up what we say, shouldn't we? If we don't, 
We aren't being good stewards of what God has given us, are we? If we don't, if our lives don't back up the knowledge that we have, do we really believe what we say? There is and there will always be a certain amount of debate over what to do as a church family and in services and such, or how much to do in the church, what kind of shows or programs or classes or events. Uh, For Philip, he provided for their felt needs. He did it miraculously. And he, he accompanied all of this with the clear truth of the gospel. He proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And because he did this, because he accompanied the truth with these actions, the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Literally, they, play, they paid close attention to what he said. The trappings caused them to listen. And their listening caused them to understand. And their understanding brought them to belief. The gospel was spread by the open proclamation of the truth of Jesus Christ, accompanied by actions that support it with joy. It's like a a trifecta of faith affecting the mind, the body, and the heart, the truth, the actions, and the emotion that all goes together. One beautiful package that God has given to us. Now the debate over what to do exactly, what kinds of music to use, what programs to initiate, all stems over what happens next in this passage. We, we don't want to create a bunch of veneered believers, do we? People who look like Christians, but their hearts are still in the wrong place. We want to make spirit-filled disciples who seek to be conformed to the image of their Savior. Unfortunately, we will always receive two reactions to the sharing of the gospel. One is a true metamorphosis, a true change in the person of of mind as, as the crowds here in this passage paid attention to what Philip was saying. And the other is a veneer of faith. As Simon kept his eyes on the trappings, he kept his eyes on the miracles and, and the power that was being displayed, the signs. When the crowds believed, the disciples came. Peter and John ended up coming out, and, and all the people received the Holy Spirit with the laying on of their hands. And theirs was a true faith in Jesus Christ. We don't get too much more on them informationally, but, but their faith grew from a focus on the word preached and was evidenced in the reception, receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon believed, his focus was still on the miracles. Simon had a very surfacey faith, one that got caught up in, in the religious sense of awe instead of an actual relationship with God, reconciled by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, we see that even Simon himself believed. But after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed 
That's that's where his attention was. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He observed how it was done. How was that Spirit imparted? And he wanted that same power that he once had with the people and that same ability to to do some great things. He thought he could pay for it just as he had done before. He was still caught, in Peter's words, in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. His heart was not right because he was still thinking and acting as he always had. He had not yet had a transformation, a complete change, and a renewing of his mind. A change in how he discerns life and this world. He wasn't seeing life and reality through the lens of Scripture, through the eyes of God, through a reconciled relationship with him in Jesus Christ. He wasn't interpreting his life through that. Romans 12, 2. says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Complete change of the way we think. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word transformed in this verse is metamorphosis. Can you say metamorphosis? Metamorphosis. Good, you can speak Greek. It's, that, that's the Greek word literally in there. Metamorphosis, a, a complete and utter change like a caterpillar. And when it's, when it's changed, its whole innate way of living, thinking, and acting is changed. It ceases to be the caterpillar and becomes the butterfly. It ceases to crawl around and eat leaves and starts to fly and drink nectar. It, it doesn't go back to the leaves. It doesn't go back to the crawling. Its whole way of life has changed. A Christian has a different way of thinking than the rest of the world. We sing things like, we all deserve to die, and we do it with a smile on our face because we know something. We think differently. We understand the love of Christ put on display. And that different way of thinking works itself out into the way we live Romans 12.1, right before Romans 12.2, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, our physical lives are lived out as a spiritual act of worship. We can't separate one from the other. Our whole life needs to be changed. Our whole way of thinking, our whole way of feeling, our whole way of discerning this world. It's completely different when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Simon's belief was like that spoken of in James chapter 2 where it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. It is one thing to know it, and it's another thing to live it. Simon had simply added another bit of information to his mind. Instead of a life-changing faith in Christ, 
that brings about a reconciled relationship with our Creator. So does the risk of making veneered Christians make the miracles of Philip or the worship that we do or the programs that we do wrong? No. The miracles that Philip did wouldn't have been possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. The gifts we use to serve one another in the church were given to us by Jesus Christ for his glory. We should be using them. We would be remiss not to use the gifts we have to build each other up in our faith, to share the gift and the gospel of Jesus Christ with this world. There is value in the programs and activities of the church family inasmuch as it helps us to remain Christ-centered, to become Christ-centered, and shows this world that, that we put our gifts, time, and finances, whatever it might be, we put them where our faith is because our salvation in Jesus Christ is that important to us. It is that significant to us. We realize that these 90 years we have on this earth or more, praise God if you got more, it's a flash in the pan. Ask anybody who's over 90 how quickly that's gone by. The older you get, the quicker you, you realize it, it's, it's gone. But we have eternity. We have a hope that is everlasting that goes so far beyond 90 years we don't even begin to know. Everywhere the gospel is preached, both will be made, veneered believers and those who are completely changed. So how do we make sure that we ourselves and those around us are are going beyond the veneer? That we aren't just hanging around for the social aspects of the the church family, the the feel-good warm fuzzies of singing great songs and all that stuff. Or, Or maybe it's fulfilling the religious duty. Well, we need to ask ourselves, has my innate way of thinking, how I process and understand the people and world around me, has that changed since I became a Christian? Do I process this world, my troubles, my joys, my everything, through the Word of God, through His eyes and how He sees things? Or am I still viewing my life through the lens of this world? Getting ahead. Competing, comparing myself with those around me. As I I read and apply his word to my life, am I different? Does his word affect who I am? Do, Do I see life? Do I see others through my new view in Christ? What are my greatest interests and concerns? When Peter realized what was going on in Simon's life, he rebuked Simon, and he says, verse 22, repent. Verse 21, let's go back to 21. It says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. Wow. For your heart is not right before God. Verse 22, repent. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray 
to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Repent. If we see where we are not viewing life, if we are not behaving, if we are not acting according to God's word, if we are not seeing things the way God does, repent of that. Recognize that that we are sinful and, and then take a decisive action to do something about it to walk away from our sin. Repentance is a, a turning away. We set our sin over there, and we walk in a new way. We walk according to God's word when we realize it, when we see it. We can't have a truly real walk, a truly reconciled relationship with God, a walk with Christ, until we recognize and admit our sins before him, can we? Confessing our sin is the first step in salvation, isn't it? If we won't repent, we are simply veneered. If there's a sin we know about in our lives and we will not repent of it, we got that surface walk. Our heart is not in the right place. We have neither part nor parcel. We need to pray for forgiveness and a change of heart. Prayer recognizes that God is alive, he's active, he's able, he is personal. Notice that in this passage, Simon asks Peter to pray for him in verse 24. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. He says, you do it, because he had no relationship with God through Christ that caused him to desire to go directly before God himself. No understanding that he was now one, that he knew God through his son Jesus Christ and he had God's spirit living in him. We need to get and keep our focus on God's word. And Satan wants it otherwise, doesn't he? Not on the trappings walking with God in recognition of who he is and who we are. Do you know somebody who's walking in a veneer of Christianity? Maybe somebody in this room? Are you that somebody? Simon very well might have thought at one point that he was a believer, but he needed to ask himself those questions. How do I view the world? If we know them, do we allow them to continue detached from God? Or do we have the strength to do as Peter did for them? First of all, for the sake of the person at stake, uh, from the way Peter was talking to Simon, we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell for eternity. Verse 21, when Peter's talking to him, he says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. Neither part nor lot in Jesus Christ and salvation. For your heart is not right before God. He's saying, you don't have faith. You don't have belief. It's just a topical veneer of it. For the sake of the person who's at stake, do we have the strength to talk to them about what we see, about what we know? Not condemning, but building up, encouraging Secondly, for the sake of the church, it's sad to see a church that exists for its own pleasure. For the social aspect, some kind of social club. For the external trappings, for the religious duty, one that is willing to ignore the vibrancy 
and efficacy of the gospel because the desire for the trappings or the programs or the, or the preferences becomes greater than the desire to live out a life transformed by the renewing of our minds. Living differently than the world around us. May the grace of God be with us that we would keep our focus on the gospel and the preaching and teaching of the word of God repentant and prayerful through our entire walk with Christ, using our gifts and the things of this world as tools to the effective delivery of that gospel message out into this world, never getting so caught up in the programs or events to the neglect of our living Savior and forgetting to walk with him. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is no way to a reconciled relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. No rite, no ritual, no religion. He gave up his life as a ransom for you and for I. His blood shed on the cross in our place that our sins might be paid in full. Now let us walk with him in that newness of life, not religious, but reborn. Reborn for a reason. Let us live lives that are completely transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just a religious veneer. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that if there is a veneer here at all, that you would rip that out Father God, we pray that you would do whatever it takes to renew us, refresh us, to cause us to walk with you, not in our own ways, but according to you and your word, that as we go out from this place, we would not be the same as we came in because your word is good and your word is here to, to affect our lives, to change us, to cause us to know you. And then in that knowledge, to have understanding and in that understanding, to walk with you by faith, with joy. Lord, I pray we are the most joyful people on this planet that the world wouldn't even compare. We praise you, Lord, for all you've done for us, far above and beyond anything we deserve, for we do all deserve to die, just as that song said. Lord God, you are good to give us everlasting life through your Son. And we praise you, all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.